Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Riverfront. This is episode number 404 of the world's uh, uh, somewhat dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me once again, as you see down below, my buddy Nate. How are you today, Nate? Could not be better. Still shaking off some of the cobwebs from the holiday eggnog that you said I wasn't supposed to have, but we're here. <laughs> it's banned in my home. Uh, join us this week. I'm gl- really excited to have uh, our buddy Wick T- Terrell on the uh, on the podcast. Wick, of course, is the uh, the guy you want to blame for RedReporter.com. Basically, <laughs> been in charge over there for a while, and uh, fantastic. Uh, Red Reporter podcast and and just uh, one of the funniest uh, one of the funniest to me one of the funniest Reds analysts out there. How are you, how are you today, Wick? I'm, I'm I'm fantastic. I'm excited to talk to you guys about uh, the scintillating Reds offseason and uh, how optimistic we are about where they are going forward. But more importantly, to look back on what actually was one of the better years in Cincinnati Reds recent history this past season and uh, kind of uh, relive some of the fun parts about uh, what we just got a chance to watch this past year. Yeah, you know, thank you for that because that is the uh, the topic of the show. As you know, if you if you click the link or uh, listen to it on whatever podcast device you're listening to, um, we're going to do the year in review uh, and basically the top ten moments of the 2021 Red season. Now, the Reds did not make the playoffs. They had you know September was frustrating for all of us, but it was something I want to keep reminding myself even because we've all gotten a little cynical since the season ended and with you know aligning payroll to. Uh, uh, you know, well, I'm not getting into our buddy Nick Crawl and the fun things he says, but you know, this season, when you consider our lifetimes as Reds fans, this was actually up there in terms of, for recent history. I mean, it's kind of sad to say that, but there are a lot of fun uh, moments this season, right, Nate? I'm not going to let anybody forget this, and that's going to come up a couple more times here in this episode. Was that for all the negativity, like we were good for a big portion of this? That doesn't happen too often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. We had we literally had meaningful baseball being played in September in Cincinnati, and that's uh, what's that like? I barely even remembered it. It, 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 it. Overall, it was a fantastic season in a lot of ways, right, Wick? Yeah, when you sent the uh, the outline for what, what we were going to talk about on the show, you mentioned that they were twelve games over five hundred in August, and I was like. That's right. They were. Uh, yeah, they, they actually were. They were in a playoff spot in, you know, five, six weeks to go when the, the schedule was supposed to start rounding into form for them to win some games down the stretch. Unfortunately, St. Louis just decided to not ever lose a baseball game again. Um, but I think that's that in part, that's why what we've seen since the season ended has been so frustrating because there were so many positives this last year. They they had so many good aspects to it. They had a good mix of youth and of veteran players. There was kind of that perfect combo for what you would expect a, a good franchise to be like, hey, we're on to something here because of what we saw last year. And instead they've kind of taken a turn. But uh, so it is easy to overlook the fact that there were a lot of positives that that 2021 season uh, uh, threw at us. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun to kind of look back on those because depending on how aggressive they want to get about kind of throwing curveballs this winter, a lot of what was good about 2021 should still be around uh, going into next year. And I think that's the exciting part about it. That's that's exactly where I kind of end up when I start getting cynical about this team. It's like, yeah, they're, you know, ownership, blah, blah, blah. You know, we complain about it all the time, but you look at this roster and you look who's coming back. It's still a pretty good team in a lot of ways. And yes, if they, if they really cared about winning, they could really take the next step. We don't want to talk about that right now, but yeah, it's 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 it's, it's kind of a fun franchise. You know, I called them the Rowdy Reds early in the year. I didn't actually call them that. My uh, editor over at Cincinnati Magazine came up with that for the headline, and I thought it was pretty good because they were kind of rowdy early in the year. We've got a couple of those uh, uh, moments uh, that we're going to cover, but I don't know. It was a really fun team. 
it did not end well because we are Cincinnati sports fans and it never ends well. But that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, you know, what do they say? The, uh, you know, the real, uh, the real success was the friends you made along the way. No, there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of winning games too. So let's, let's go ahead and dive into this list. And I think the way we'll do this is um, we'll just uh, go around uh, announcing what we'll start at 10, count down to one. And, and Wick, you're the guest here. I'm going to let you if, you, if you, if you want to go ahead and take uh, number 10 on our list. Number top 10. 10 Reds moments of uh, 2021. So top 10. Number 10, you've got Votto's 1,000th RBI, uh, which rolled in on June 30th of this year. You know, one of a trio of pretty big, pretty significant milestones for Joey this year. A lot, a lot of round numbers he hit. Um, but for that one, I think there was certainly some uh, uh, some specific sentimentality, I guess is a way I can – that's certainly two words you can put together um, about it because for so much of his career, he's kind of been lampooned as not being an RBI guy. Uh, so to get to that kind of round number, to get that comma in there, suddenly you look up, you're like, hmm, for a guy who wasn't really an RBI guy for his career, he's got a 1,000 of them now, which is a lot more than so many of the other guys that uh, throughout the course of the, the Reds franchise history that have been considered clutch and RBI guys – don't have to their name. And so I thought that was a certainly an important one for him and one I'm sure he's glad he's got uh, uh, ticked off on his um, his career uh, leisure so far. Yeah, you know, it happened, uh, as we said, uh, in uh, in June, the end of June, and uh, it was a, a home run to lead off the third inning and, you know, just the fifth Reds player ever to collect the 1,000 RBIs. You know, that's, that's, that's not bad, <laughs> you know. And an for a guy... <laughs> He's an RBI guy. For a guy that's had Drew Stubbs and people like that, Billy Hamilton hitting in front of him for most, most of his career, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about Billy Hamilton, obviously, but he's not had – he had one year with uh, Shinsu Chu, and otherwise no no real high on-base percentage guys really hitting in front of him until this year. Um, so 1,000 RBI is actually a pretty impressive feat. So uh, so that home run when he got his 1,000, that, that's the number 10 moment according to us collectively. Nate, any thoughts on that? No, uh, not really. Just when I like – he's – you think of Joey Votto, you think of a, an approach kind of guy. It's all about his at-bats. It's nice to recognize that he's done some other things, too, that guys get on, front, get on base in front of him. He's taking care of the job time and time again. And, you know, it's a testament to the longevity of his career. And, you know, it won't be the last time we talk about him today, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have some uh, some Votto comments today, no question about it. Um it is kind of appropriate, I think, that it was a solo home run that for his thousandth RBI because he's kind of been carrying his team on his back his whole <laughs> career. So uh, number ten on the Reds' top ten moments of twenty twenty one was Joey Votto's one thousandth RBI. Nate, you want to take number nine on our list? Yeah, let's rock and roll. Uh, number nine for us is on September twenty seventh. The Cincinnati Reds clinched a winning record this season. Um, we touched on it earlier that. Has barely ever happened. We won't count anything that happened in the short season 2020, but I think it was 2013 was the last time they had a winning record. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And I think you can count on single digits how many times they've had a winning record since I can remember watching baseball games. That's probably so, true for Wick as well. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. It's funny you mentioned you mentioned Shinsu Chu when we're talking about Joey Votto being uh, ability to actually like put some runs across the board. It's nice if they had another productive leadoff hitter finally for one of the few times over that thirty year window. Uh, it's no surprise to me to look up and be like, yeah, when you put somebody in the number one spot who can get on base a lot and score runs, suddenly you win a lot more baseball games than you do when you have the exact opposite of that. So uh, correlation, causation, whatnot. But it is nice to note that uh, it, it is an important aspect of uh, 
how to win games is to put somebody out there that uh, can get on base a lot, uh, the most often in the lineup, and actually score some runs for you. Yeah. Funny how that works. Very good point. <laughs> I would be curious to see uh, if there is more of a correlation, and somebody could go back and pull the numbers when the last, you know, the years when the Reds have a decent leadoff hitter, how they turn out. Well, we don't remember very many of those uh, years recently. <laughs> It could be a short article. It's perfect. <laughs> right. So we're talking, of course, the number nine on the list is September 27th of this year when the Reds defeated the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates by a score of 13-1 to to clinch their 82nd victory of the year. Winning pitcher that day, you all know who it was, right? Uh, it's so obvious. I can't believe you're not yelling it out. Reaver San Martin. Oh, of course, yes. That's his first big league win. Yeah, Dory Moretta. Pitched a, uh, a scoreless inning that uh, that day as well. So, and that was the 82nd uh, victory for the Reds, clinching a, a winning season. And because of the frustration of the Reds falling out of the race a little bit, you know, it it kind of it didn't go unnoticed. But it we didn't celebrate it like maybe we. Although I don't should you really celebrate winning 82 games? You know, that, <laughs> man, we're Reds fans. Whatever. If, there, if there's a lot of games left to play when you hit 82, sure. <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, there were only a handful left at that point. They didn't win all of them. Yeah. That wasn't enough. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, they should try to get 80, their 82nd win like in, I don't know, early August. August. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> Seems like a better plan. All right, so that's number nine on our list of the top 10 Reds moments of 2021. The Reds actually clinching a winning record. And again, Let's not discount that because of how rare you just heard uh, Nate and Wick both <laughs> talk about how rare it was. Um, number eight on our list is kind of a, I don't know, it's not really a moment. We're kind of cheating a little bit here. But it is uh, being able to watch these, this rookie, the, the kind of rookie crop this year. And uh, we're, gonna, we're talking mostly about Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson, um, Vladimir Gutierrez, you got at him, and you, know, you got some. Uh, Darry Moretta is a guy that is going to be in the Reds bullpen probably this year, and you know he made his debut, and uh, you know uh, Jose Barreros, you know he didn't make his debut this year, but you know he did get up, and he's going to hopefully play a big role in 2022 for the Reds. So again, we, it comes back to that discussion about being cynical, but the Reds have this, and we'll talk a little more about India later, obviously, but um, they have this kind of core here. And who and Tyler Stevens is the one that I'm most excited about in this group. Um, I think he's going to make more all-star games than any of these guys uh, eventually. That's uh, my opinion, and I'm probably you know going to jinx him like I do everybody. But um, but but that really was uh, Wick. I'll let you comment on that. Really was if you're looking to be excited about the future of the Reds, we got these young guys with some real talent. Some guys like Gutierrez who didn't expect necessarily, but who can be the core of a pretty good team going forward if if, if they'll kind of feel some pieces in around them. So admittedly, I didn't put a ton of thought into the actual ordering of my list, but number three on my list, it was June 5th, uh, which was a 5-2 win over the St. Louis Cardinals, but it was the first day that Jonathan India got put in the leadoff spot. And, uh, you know, uh, we talked off camera to start this that, um, you know, if I was ranking top 10 in September versus ranking now, uh, I was looking a little bit further back on 2021 then, and I've got an eye towards the future a little bit more now. Um, but when you find it, a huge spot in your lineup and your, your 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 defense at second base and the guy who can be your leadoff hitter and he's a rookie. I mean that's that's a that's a cornerstone piece that you can put in there. Even if he's not as good next year or the year after that that he was this year. You you saw enough from him where you can look up and say you you put that name in ink and you build around that going forward. And I think that was the day that the Reds found 
a core piece for what they're going to want to have going forward. Uh, that's huge. You know, when we look back on what 2021 was, hopefully the fact that they actually had a winning record kind of fades as an importance going forward. Uh, but they found an important piece and an important cog and how he fits very well in there. And June 5th was the day that they finally gave him that opportunity to, to be a much more important part of this team than he had been going forward. Uh, and he took off. I mean, he absolutely crushed going forward and won rookie of the year. So uh, that, you know, we're talking about how good the rookies were. I was, I might not be as excited about Tyler Stevenson as you are, but I'm very excited about Tyler Stevenson. Uh, but it was that day where the Reds found something, something concrete and tangible. And I think that's a big, big uh, takeaway uh, as we move further into their career uh, uh, on what they found that day. Yeah, no, you know, that really, in retrospect, we could have easily put that day that he moved into the to the leadoff spot in this top 10 list because it was kind of a momentous occasion. We didn't really know at the time. I mean, a lot of us were excited that it was actually happening. Um, it looked like it had to happen. It, it was necessary, but, uh, man, a guy like that at his age who many years, that's huge. It's, it's something that the Reds have been searching for for, for years. years. Nate, any thoughts on the Rooks? No, I love that point. Um, we talked about Shin Suchu earlier, and you know we had him for such a such a short amount of time. It's awesome going into a season knowing that we have that leadoff position locked up for years to come, and probably for the first time in my you know Reds fandom. Hold on, not not since Willie Tavares. I miss Dion, Dion, Dion Sanders. Oh, there we go, prime time. Yeah, oh, he's Willie, he's doing his thing. Willie Tavares. Oh, man. Willie Tavares, Corey Patterson. That was a tough time to be a Reds fan. <laughs> it's, tough. it's tough to remember that time being a Reds fan, much less going through it at the end. Yeah. Why? Absolutely. <laughs> right. So that's uh, that's uh, number eight on our list. Just getting to watch this rookie class. I'll just say about Tyler Stevenson quickly, uh, that, and the reason why I'm so high on him is just that the dude can, can absolutely mash. I mean, he can hit. And how many c- catchers around the league can hit? And, you know, uh, dearly departed uh, t- Tucker Barnhart. Uh, maybe I shouldn't phrase it that way. But, man, what, what a great Reds career. But to me, and I've mentioned this a few times on the show, watching Tucker Barnhart kind of work with uh, with Tucker um, with Tyler Stevenson pregame, working on the, the defensive aspects of the game, he knew that. Tyler Stevenson was there to take his place, and uh, he, he. But he, that's that's why Tucker is always going to be one of my favorites. I think uh, if if Tyler Stevenson can kind of, uh, he's not going to be Tucker Barnhart defensively, but if he's an average defensive player with an above average bat, that's an all star. I mean, that you, there aren't very many of those in baseball, and so. You know, and if the DH shows up in the National League as well, suddenly you've got the ability to get him in the lineup a lot more often, save those knees, rotate him through first base going forward. Like, he's, he's a bat that doesn't just look like it's somebody that you want to have in there catching 110 games. You want to get him in the lineup somewhere every single day when you can, and I think that's something that – it's very fortuitous timing if that's what ended up happening this winter when the Reds have a guy that's that young into his career. Uh, it, it seems like it's going to mesh very, very well, uh, those two things. So hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, I've been anti DH for years, but I, I think uh, I think Tyler Stevenson may make me change my mind because you're right; <laughs> they need him in the lineup 150 times, and as a yeah. catcher, that's just not going to happen. Right. So, all right, that's uh, that's number eight on our list. Uh, number seven. DH. What's that? The Wick just. What's that? <laughs> yeah, he did. Wick just convinced us to support universal designated hitter. Okay. Hey, baby, we'll pick up Joey Votto's option too. We'll keep him around for an extra year too, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a conversation that I kind of had with, with a couple people uh, earlier this week. They got that option, you know, coming for Joey Votto, and I thought a couple years ago there's no chance. But now Joey has made me 
And maybe this is something we need to talk to on one of these Joey Votto items on the list, but he's made me think. Hey, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> what's next, Wick? Why don't you tell us what's number uh, number seven on our list? Number seven on the uh, the list is Joey Votto's 300th home run, which yeah. came on April 30th. And I do have a little tidbit here on my, my, my handy-dandy phone notepad over here. Um, not to say that Joey Votto was pressing, but the start of the season, when I look back, I, I think I remembered it, but I didn't remember it as well as I did when I actually looked at the number. Uh Entering play on April 30th, he was hitting 220 with a 290 on base percentage and a 396 slugging percentage. After he hit a home run, so when he woke, actually I take that before he hit the run, when he woke up on the morning of April 30th, from April 30th to the end of the season, he hit 277, 395, 605. That's an even 1,000 OPS from the day he hit his 300 home run on. That's his ISO was wow. the second best ISO in all of baseball behind only Shohei Otani uh, from that point forward. So it's it was a great moment, obviously, but it's almost one of those ones where you look up and it's like he got the weight off his shoulders. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, Joey knows this, but he looked up and said, I, I, I have hit 300 home runs. I'm a power hitter. You know, I can, I can hit these again. Let's do this. It just took off from there. And so it was one of those things where the individual moment was cool, but it was like the floodgates opened up for him after that. And so that was that was a very high on my – I think I had that on number – I do. I have it on number two on my list of uh, best moments of the year. Okay, so you're, you're criticizing – you're coming on my show <laughs> and criticizing my list. That's all right. We'll, we'll deal with that. But, Nate, any thoughts on that? Uh, right, before right, – before... <laughs> right. Nate, go ahead. I think it's great. Um you got to expect that these players, they, 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 they take account of their accolades and they are aware of their place in history. And that 300 home run barometer is important to a lot of hall of fame voters. And you kind of wonder if, like you said, he woke up that morning and was like, Hey, I get, I get this. It's just another check in that box that gets me into Cooperstown. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, again, it was, uh, it came, on April 30th, so early in the season, but you're right, he had been he had been struggling up to that point. It was uh, against the Cubs. It, it uh, you know gave the Reds the the lead for for good in a win over the Cubs. So that's a good thing. He got a curtain call, which is always I don't know that's one of my favorite things. But uh, you know the the thing was at the time it put him third on the list for all time home runs for this franchise, and then later in the season, of course. He passed uh, Frank Robinson, where Frank Robinson had uh, 324. Joey Votto ends the season with 36 home runs, which is crazy, which uh, gives him 331 in his career. So he's, he's second only to uh, to Johnny Bench, who was a, a decent little player as well. And uh, I don't know. It's just we all know that Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer, but these little things like this and then, you know, obviously the way he ended the season are the things that are going to get Hall of Fame voters uh, kind of – Making him making him pay attention, I think. I think he's clearly. I don't know if he'd be first ballot. He should be, uh, but he will get in early. I think the Hall of Fame. What, what do you think, Wick? Uh, the Hall of Fame. When's he going to get in? Yeah, I think he might be second, maybe third ballot at this point. I mean, you look up uh, the round numbers he's hitting right now. You would have loved to see him hit two or three years ago. Obviously, the the decline years when he was only basically as good as Jonathan India was this year in his decline years, um, set him back a little bit, but he had injuries. He, he was a 24 year old rookie. Uh, so the numbers didn't stack up as early as I think they, they otherwise would, but the rate stats, which obviously I think are much more important as the, the baseball writers association of America uh, kind of transitions out of some of the older traditional stats and some of the newer writers begin to get the ability to vote on these kind of things. 300, 400, 500 stands out. I mean, that's, the list of people that have done that for that in career, and even if Joey slips down to 296 or whatever it was by the time he, by the time he retires batting average-wise, um, it's those things that stand out. And I think when you stack them up on those kind of levels, 
he's as elite as they get. He absolutely is as elite as they get. And, you know, in a game where 27, you have to get somebody out 27 times to beat them. The best player of his generation at not making outs is it's important. It's hugely important. And I think that's going to stack up very well down the road. I'm also interested to see where Todd Helton finishes this year as well, because uh, a player who kind of stacks up very similar to how Joey's been, but he's getting support. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer and I think he will be a Hall of Famer because people will begin to recognize it going down the road. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Nate, any thoughts? Do you think Bobby will be the first ever first ballot Hall of Famer who turned 65 that year? <laughs> You're saying he's going to play until he's 60? 60? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I, I get to write about it for the 20 years. That'd be fantastic. I'm sure. Well, it, there is, you know, the question now all of a sudden that we have is how long can he keep going? Because now I don't know what, I, you know, I'm not going to doubt him ever again because he'd put up this season at 37. And, uh, and Wick was talking about 300, 400, 500, 300 batting average, 400 on base, 500 slugging, which is a very rare feet in in baseball history i think what's good actually and, and wick you also mentioned about how you know we're getting we're getting some new hall of fame voters over the next uh, 10 years we have been already i just love the fact i think the fact that Votto led the national league at on base percentage seven times is going to carry great weight in terms of being in a, a hall of famer because because who are the other players who have who led their league in on base percentage seven times in their career there's one, two, three, four, five, six, including Votto. The other five are Ted Bonds, Williams, Williams, Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, so the Rogers Hornsby. Hitters, four greatest hitters of all time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Rogers Hornsby and Ty Cobb. <laughs> Who? Who's A bunch of guy? inner circle Hall of Famers. <laughs> so I, I think he gets it. Um, it may it may take till the second or third time, but he's absolutely going to be in the Hall of Fame and uh, and certainly deserving. The, my, my favorite note about that before we we could go on for Vado talk for 17 hours on this, but my favorite part about it is that's not by accident. That's because Joey was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead the league on base percentage, and then he goes out yeah. and does it. Like that's that's my favorite part about it. It's not that he does what he does and doesn't know about the stats and looks up and he's like, oh, I love the league on base percentage. He's like, no, I'm gonna lead the league in this, and then does it. And everybody knows that's what he's trying to do, and he still does it. That's that's my favorite part about it. Well, and that correlates with what happened this year, which is that, all right, my bat's getting a little slower. Uh, you know, I've got to change things. And so he becomes maybe not quite as productive, but productive in a different way. He, he starts hitting home runs. And no one else can do that. Only the greatest players in history can do things like that. And that's he's, he's a unicorn, and I'm so glad we got a chance to watch him. For sure. Final thoughts about that, Nate? I'm looking forward to a later lockout era podcast when it's just the uh, Joey Votto extravaganza. Wick, we'll have you back on here. We'll do two hours, four hours. I've got I've got tabs and, and bookmarks and galore. I can jump right into it right now. It's my favorite damn thing to talk about. The truth of the matter is, we really should have a just a Joey Votto podcast <laughs> at some point because that dude is special. So I want to say before I meant to mention this at the beginning. And I did before we move on to obviously number seven was Votto's uh, Joey Votto's 300th home run. Before we go to number six, as we were putting together this list, I, I had some I wrote down some some ones that I thought oh these, have to, these moments have to be on there. And then I said well let me do a quick Google search. And uh, and when I did the uh, two of the first uh, ones that came up were a uh, for for Red's top moments of 2021 was a uh, a piece that I wrote for Cincinnati Magazine. That's kind of some of the season and saying you know there were some good days, but then uh, also was a piece that 
ironically, I guess, because I Googled it after I invited uh, Wick to come on the program, was a piece that Wick wrote over at redreporter.com. And, yes, uh, no, it worked. Yes, search engine optimization. It worked. <laughs> Right, exactly. And uh, I put on our, our show outline because I love the uh, kind of subtitle for that post over there uh, by Wick. Moments come and go, but phrases you find framed at Target last forever. Maybe that should be the title of the show. Oh, Wick. You know, I'd forgotten I wrote that until you put it back on the outline and I read it again. I'm like, I'm sure it sounded great at the time. It may have happened, well right? Well, well, late December 2021. I chuckled at it. So, I don't know. Maybe it's worth something, right? Here we go. All right, Nate, you want to give us number six on our list of the top ten Reds moments of 2021? Number six is uh, our dual all-star game starters, Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos. A couple quick stats for you. It is the first time the Reds have had two all-star game starters since 2013. That was Votto and uh, Brandon Phillips. Um, The first outfield starter since 2007, young fellow named King Griffey Jr. I think you may have heard of him. And my favorite one, the first time the Reds have had two outfielders starting in the All-Star game since 1956. Gus Bell. Can you guess the other person? Wally Post. Both very close. Frank Robinson. It was Frank. Oh, yeah. That guy was okay. I was thinking he was the third base at that point still. Ah. Yeah. Um, What really excited me about this this fact, this, this thing the most, is that all-star votes are largely fan-based. In Cincinnati, we talk about it all the time. It's a, it's a medium-sized market. People aren't usually paying a ton of attention. The national media certainly isn't covering the Reds because they're told to by their superiors. You have to sort of force your way into the public conscious when you play for Cincinnati a lot of the time, and both these guys did that. You know, injuries kind of slowed them down in the second half. Man, first half, they were both mashing and both, like, MVP candidates up to that point. And it was fun to watch. Yeah, you know, two of the three outfield starters were Cincinnati Reds, and that's just not something that happens. And it's because they just mashed and mashed and mashed. You know, one of these days I'll talk about, I'm going to gonna write about the uh, 1957 when the Reds stuffed the ballot, ballot boxing, you know, for, to get all the starters in the All-Star game. But that's not what happened here necessarily. It's just that those guys were fantastic. Wait. Yeah, I was just saying they deserved it. That's the that was the coolest part about it. There was no ballot stuffing. It was they just you look at the sheer numbers and Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, great players. The numbers looked up and it was like, no, Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos deserve to be starting the All Star game. And um, they, uh, I, I think that's um, you know what Winker getting hurt again down the stretch. I, as I look back on what twenty twenty one could have been, I, I think that's the, the probably the most frustrating aspect of all of it is because. He had begun to put together, you know, he'd been good and been injured and hurt and sidelined in years before, but this looked like the year where it was all finally coming together for the guy that I think when Jonathan Mayo of, of MLB Pipeline was talking about Jesse Winker when he was still a prospect in Double A, said this guy is going. No, let me let me rephrase that. He picked him to win the batting title in the minor leagues that year because he said this guy's probably going to win one at the big league level too. And he's always had that talent, always been on the cusp of being one of the best offensive players in baseball. And at least he had his first half this year because he got some validation from that because he was absolutely smoking the ball um, up until injuries kind of uh, sidelined for the end of the year. But uh, that was that was one of my best best moments of this year was getting a chance to watch Jesse, Jesse hit as well as he did. Yeah, dude's not Jack Armstrong, okay? This guy, this guy's the real deal, and he's coming back. Nick Castellanos, no, but um, 
So a little uh, trivia time here for you guys. This is unfair, but you mentioned that Bryce Harper didn't get the start. Juan Soto didn't get the start. We'll see how much uh, research you all did. Who was the third outfield starter for the National League in the All-Star game this year? Along uh, In between. It was the center fielder in between Jesse Winker in left field and Nick Castellanos in right field. Anybody got a guess? Was it Charlie Marte? It was not, but close in some ways. I can't even remember which team he was on at the All-Star break. It was Charlie Marte's former team. Jim Edmonds? <laughs> I think it might have been Jim Nate, I gave you the, the rules of this podcast. You're not supposed to mention his name. You're not supposed to mention his name on this podcast. That's in the rules. It was it was Brian Reynolds, center fielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And also Who is pro- probably deserving as well. He had a fantastic yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Really good player. Really good player. Certainly deserving. Um, Castellanos batted fifth. Uh, Jesse Winker batted sixth for the National League All-Stars. Castellanos went 0 for 2 in the game. Um Jesse Winker went 0 for 1 with a walk. Castellanos was replaced by Juan Soto. Jesse Winker was replaced on it by Chris Bryant. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm i still a sucker for that All-Star game talk. You know, the discussions of who makes it, who doesn't make it. I, I, I watch the game because I'm an idiot. Okay. Number five on our list. That was number six. Jesse Winker and... and um, what's that guy's name? Castellanos? I don't remember him. He's he's gone. But um, starting in the All Star game, number five on the list. Maybe I thought I thought this would be a little higher when I first started thinking about this list. But this is where we landed, and we'll leave it there. And that's Wade Miley throwing a no hitter. Wade Miley, of course, on May the seventh, he got the Hulk tattoo. One of y'all talk about that if you want. Um, Threw uh, no hitter. And just reminded me of Tom Browning so much in the process. And I don't know, Wade Miley, who the Reds gave away for free, but we're not trying to talk about what happened since the season ended. Um, I don't know. That was just as much fun as I've had uh, watching a game in a while. I mean, he was just, he was masterful. Uh, eight strikeouts, um, only 114 pitches that's in this, this day and age. That's not that many. <laughs> Cleveland's average exit velocity was 84.7. <laughs> Uh, same as his fastball. Uh, <laughs> the same. That's where I was going. Pretty much the same as Wade Miley's fastball. Um, I don't, either of you have any thoughts about Wade Miley? That was a fun night. Just you know, watching Wade Miley, a guy who was so much better than than most people expected this year, and ended up being a, uh, one of the most valuable players, maybe the most valuable player on the team if, if you look at it. But um, that was kind of his night to shine. Either of you, I'll let you. Either of you want to jump in? Go ahead, Wade. Yeah, I, I think um, if I might be misremembering this, but I feel like. It was the same week that Hunter Green hit 104 miles an hour on the radar gun. Um, and so at the time, you, you've got the future down there and the guy who's back healthy and, and, and doing everything he was supposed to do is this is this uber prospect, throwing the ball harder than no, every, anybody has as a Cincinnati Red or Oldest Chapman included at this point. Um, so you've got that on your, your brain. And then all of a sudden you got Wade Miley out there throwing 86, 87 mile an hour cutters that are just – hitting the right spot every single time and Cleveland just couldn't figure it out. You know, they're jamming themselves. They're fisting everything they possibly could. Nobody's making good contact. And it's, it was um, another reminder and lesson that pitching is so much more than just throwing hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the coolest part about it, especially because it was early enough in the year where um, to that point, the, the way Miley signing had been awful. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd missed basically the entire season before that. And uh, here we are looking up at like the money that they spent and the Moose contract hadn't been paying off and Shogo hadn't paid off. And who knew what Wade Miley was? And all of a sudden, boom, early in the year, he's your ace. 
and doing those kind of things out there too. So it was kind of a, a launching point for what ended up being a fantastic season for him, uh, but also a little bit of validation, I think, and especially since he was brought in because he'd worked with Derek Johnson with Milwaukee and there was reasoning behind why the Reds were taking a risk on this soft toss and tossing 34 year old lefty at the time. Uh, so to see him do that was, was super, super cool. No doubt about it. Yeah. I think that this one could have been a little bit higher on the list had it happened a little bit later in the season when the, uh, the playoff push was sort of at a fever pitch, people would appreciate it a little more. I personally will remember it as the night that I got in the most trouble I've ever gotten my fiance for staying on my phone the entire time we were at dinner and uh, watching the ESPN's GameCast instead of paying attention to her. So thanks, Jade. Yeah, if she's going to join this family, she's going to have to get used to that. Uh, yeah, you know, um, the fact that it was Wade Miley in this era of 100-mile-per-hour throwers, and I like the contrast to Hunter Green, but every team has got these guys. That's the game these days, velocity, velocity, velocity. But it was Wade Miley. Doing things that pitchers have done from time memorial, which is hitting your spots, working fast, you know, throwing strikes. I don't know. I just uh, I love that guy. There's no reason he should not be on the Reds this coming season, and we're not going to discuss that. But I just uh, I'm a big fan of Wade Miley, and always will be. I will also be a big fan of the fact that uh, that Wick, for the first time in 404 episodes of this uh, of this show, used the uh, the word fisting. <laughs> I was like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the show, Wick. <laughs> make him make my mark immediately, right? <laughs> In, yes, absolutely. Okay, so I... Back anytime. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, see, where are we on the uh, where are we on the list here? So that was uh, Wade Miley. The, uh, as number five, his no-hitter on May 7th was... Number five on our list. So I think we're back to you, Wick, right? Am I, I've lost track of where we are, right? For number four on the list? I can go for number four. August 22nd, the Reds were 12 games above 500 and in control of the second National League wildcard spot, had won 13 out of 19. And, yeah, we're, we're basically steamrolling at that time. And we talked about uh, the June 5th switch of Jonathan Indy to the leadoff spot. We talked about Joey Votto coming – well, we haven't talked about Joey Votto coming back after being hit uh, by a pitch and, and busting his finger. Um, that offense was rolling. Like, everybody was there. Everybody was healthy. And Luis Castillo had rounded in form after a rough first uh, month of the season. Uh, it was a team – you know, we talked – about Winker and Castellanos being in the All-Star Stars because they deserve to be there. The Reds were in the second wildcard spot because they were playing well enough to be there at that point. Um, you know, they, they, they'd gotten a little bit healthier in the bullpen and the early struggles of the bullpen had kind of gotten washed away at that point, but they looked the part of a team that should have been in contention at that point. And so it wasn't a mirage and it was um, uh, fun to look up and say, hey, they've got a lot of games left against the Pirates. Um, maybe they could make this thing – Special down the stretch, but uh, that certainly was the pinnacle of um, of the Reds being a good baseball team last year. Yeah, Nate, I'll let you uh, weigh in, but we're talking about top ten moments, and that moment, you know that that day, August twenty second, you know the Reds twelve games ago above five hundred, as we said, um, you know they're in, in, firm in control of their own destiny. They're in a wild card spot. They had been playing extremely well, and in terms of moments. That was probably the single moment where I was most excited, most, you know, uh, 
I don't know. I was I was happy with the Reds um, since 2013 or maybe 2012. I mean, and that's a long time ago. Uh, so Nate, I, I, that's why, in terms of moments, that particular moment before they collapsed was was fun. But we should have known they're Cincinnati sports team. But Nate, talk about that moment and and just the idea of being in contention in general this year. That's exactly it. Um, I look back at that time and it sort of consumes your every day. You're in the car making these long drives and you're finding, you're listening to them on the radio. You're listening to all the podcasts you can find, things you didn't consume, media you didn't consume beforehand because the attitude is real. Like the Reds were good. People were talking about it. People didn't want to play them. The team was so much fun. And as a fan, like you just said, we don't get to experience it too often. But when you do, you kind of feel like you're a part of it especially when you haven't felt it very often because it's just a little more special to us than it is Yankees fans or, or Dodgers fans. maybe. So I'll, I'll look back at that time as, you know, putting the games on the TV, listening to them on the radio, making sure you didn't miss a single tidbit of info because we were all pretty confident back then that uh, this season was special and it was special. Don't get me wrong. So I've, got, has, I've got a bit of trivia for, for you all. Um, let's hear it. To kind of tie some things together, how many games do you think Jesse Winker appeared in for the Cincinnati Reds after August twenty second? Zero. No one. One. It was the one game that he got hurt. Yeah, and left. That's. Oh my gosh, that might have been the difference, right? And it was September seventeenth. I mean, it was a full, almost a full month after they were at their peak of that season. Uh, he got hurt on August fifteenth. Uh, they they managed to stay afloat for a week after that, and then. You know, you take a bat like that out of the middle of the order, uh, and it's it's amazing how much of an impact. I mean, obviously, it was uh, numerous other things that that led to them not being able to pull things off down the stretch. You know, T.J. Anton getting hurt as well. Um, but yeah, I looked. I when I saw that data, I was like, we just talked about Weaker. I was like, when did he get hurt? Just went back and pulled up the game logs. I'm like, yep, he played one game after that, and it was one plate appearance. So yeah, yeah, just it's 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 a what if. That that certainly, I think we will remember more and more as this 2021 gets further away. And it's kind of a numbers game too, right? Like they had weathered the Votto injuries and the Castellanos injuries with a whole lot of luck, and it ran out. Yep, it did. The Cardinals took all of it. <laughs> they did. I mean, it's also hard to beat that. I mean, if you want, what did they win? Seventeen in a row to finish the regular season. Eighteen. Uh, it, I lost count when once the Reds were out. I was like, God, oh, the Cardinals have done it at this point. But yeah, I mean. I don't know how you, how you compete with that when, when the devil magic in St. Louis is, is is rounding into form just at the wrong time for the Reds. But at least we didn't lose in disgrace in the playoffs the way the Cardinals do. <laughs> can't, well, can't let them forget that. Yeah, right. <laughs> is is it is it worse or better if I mean if the Reds had actually played well and just got edged out at the end by a uh, Cardinals team playing incredibly? If the Reds just played well enough and just barely lost, I don't know. That might be more frustrating that that the Cardinals were so good and, and the Reds could have won except for them being historically good. I don't know. Stupid Cardinals. Stupid Cardinals. <sighs> okay, so uh, next on the list is going to be – where are we here? Nate, are we up with you, number three? Number three is Johnny Jonathan India's Rookie of the Year campaign. Um, I wanted this one to be ranked so high because when I look back on this season, I was basing these – purely on emotion. Like, like, how did you feel going back and watching the highlights and the press conferences? Moments. And, man, this guy is so much fun to root for. 
and he's he's had, he's done his own little victory parade in the off season. I finally got around to watching the uh, the wedding video and yeah, some of his vacation stuff. Um, we get yeah, Nate, quickly, if you haven't seen the the video of uh, Jonathan India going nuts at Tyler Stevenson's wedding, <laughs> you're missing out. Go watch that. Go ahead, Nate. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't expect Jonathan India to take over the way he did. We we you know had some some optimistic hopes at best, but the way he took this position and he ran with it has really one of the the pure joys of this season. We get to root for this guy for a long time. He's good. He's fun. He's young. And man, I could not be more excited that he's going to wear that uniform for several years because he's still very affordable and there's no reason to get rid of him. Mr. (laughs) You know, I, I, I mentioned beforehand that my list got a little bit cynical towards the end as we're, you know, uh, doing this in December and uh, the Reds have done certain offseason things to kind of diminish your your uh, expectations going forward. But I had opening day uh, as number eight on my list, uh, not because of opening day being awesome, which it is, but because they didn't manipulate Jonathan India's service time, um, which I was going to applaud them for since they've done it to basically every other young player that's come up. Um, but I think that speaks volumes to just how much confidence they had in this kid uh, from the start, and they were like, "He's he's the best option we've got there. We're rolling with him." Um, it's just so strange because obviously, number five draft pick, like you had high expectations for him. He'd absolutely knocked the cover off the ball of Florida, um, and then he got to the minors, and you know, in part because of a wrist injury, and in part because he was playing in Daytona and Chattanooga, where uh, if you're a right-handed hitter, you just you can't hit the ball out of any of the ballparks down there. Um, he kind of slipped a little bit, and he wasn't a top 100 prospect anymore, and people had kind of overlooked him. And he was a college guy, so he wasn't young anymore. And all of a sudden, boom, he's going to be 25 this year. And we didn't see him at all in 2020 because there was no minor league season. So I think the expectations were um, – it was the, the almost the perfect mix of no expectations and uh, exceeding performance that he put on display this year that he really just – the perhaps the most prove everybody wrong season by a Cincinnati red um, I've seen it a long, long time. And I thought that was really, really cool because nothing about it, aside from getting on base 20, however many times from being hit by a pitch, nothing about it looked like it wasn't just him being good at baseball. And I think that was super cool. And on top of that, he was doing it in a new position. They just threw him at second base and said, yeah, you can do this. Uh, and he looked fine out there too. So that's, uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, I think they, they found a good key cog and that's, um, that's awesome. So props to him on a, on a fantastic year. And when, when they submitted it with the rookie of the year award, uh, he should have won it. So it was glad that they didn't get overlooked there and snubbed because uh, he was deserving of it for, for months before they actually got the award. Yeah. I wonder if they didn't manipulate his service time because they didn't expect him to, to matter in the long run. They didn't, they didn't worry about that extra year because they weren't that high on him anymore. They, they were waiting for Jose Barrera to come up and take his job. Maybe who knows? That's a good point. Yeah. That obviously isn't true. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, Barrero yeah, is going to be our center fielder of the future, I think, because we have a shortstop. No, we're not. We're not being cynical today. We're not being cynical with Jonathan India. Um, we've kind of relitigated this uh, here on the show, but I didn't expect a ton from him this year. And it's not that I thought he couldn't be good. It's just that, well, he wasn't great. And then last year we didn't see him. We heard these reports that he's going to be good, and I was like, well, okay, you're going to show me. And I think that's what kind of led him being such a revelation is that we did not have those expectations as, as, as Wick noted, uh, you know, I, I didn't have these expectations and he just absolutely outperformed everything I could have uh, ever expected. And he is a legitimate 
kind of cornerstone of quote unquote the next good Reds team, whenever that's going to be. But if if the Reds are going to put together a good team, this dude can play. And you know the hair, I love it. Um, I'm jealous. And the helmet uh, flying off all the time. Yeah, the hell. Yeah, I mean he's the type of guy that you really want to see. You really want to see uh, succeed and, and easy to root for. Yeah, he can get young people invigorated. Like he can like if you're a young fella, you get that baseball card, you can get excited about that, and that's awesome. Love it. Oh, you know, I, I've talked to several people actually who said their kids wanted Jonathan India those jerseys. They, that's what they wanted for Christmas, or Jonathan India jersey. Yeah, no, he's he's fun. He's exciting. I'm, I'm happy that he's right. Happy that he did that he did well. So, who was the last Reds player to start as a rookie on opening day? First, first star on opening day. Either of you know that? Silence is good for a show. Okay, no guesses. <laughs> An hour, or you could tell me. 1988. Oh. Chris Sabo. Chris Sabo. The immortal Spuds McKenzie. My first favorite player. There you go. Oh, really? Exciting. You kid. All right. So. (laughs) It did work out where you end up with rookie rookie of the year as well. But who's the last Reds rookie of the year, though? Scott Scott Williamson? Williamson. Wrong. Jonathan India. <laughs> Before Should him, have been it was Joey Should have been Joey Votto. Giovanni Soto. Oh, Giovanni Soto. Now, what his resolution is to troll Chad more than he trolls us. <laughs> Good luck with that. All right, we're that. That was number three on our list. Jonathan India, incredible season, wins Rookie of the Year. Number two on our list of the top ten moments for the 2021 Cincinnati Reds was Game Two of the 1919. Uh, 19. Good grief. 2021 season came to. Oh, it's been a long year. Here's off the really World Series victory over the Chicago Black Sox scandal, the 21 Reds. Yes, it's been a long year. So, game two of the season. Okay, the Reds uh, in the third inning they score six uh, runs, highlighted by a Tucker Barnhart home run that take a big six to one lead over the Cardinals. The next inning, Nick Cassianos flips his bat. Uh, well, first of all, he's hit by a pitch. The day before, on opening day, he flipped his bat and kind of danced down to first base after hitting a home run. So he's he's uh, hit by pitch by Cardinals pitcher Jake Woodford. Castellanos clearly thought it was intentional. Uh, and so later in the inning, he Castellanos scores on a wild pitch and performed the flex heard around the world. Bench is emptied. It was madness for a little while. But that's number two on our list of the top ten Reds moments. Nick Castellanos flexing over this garbage Cardinals pitcher at home plate. Set the tone for the season, right? Either of you jump in. Whoever wants to jump in, I'm fired up. This could have been. This should have been number one. Uh, so but, I, might be, I, I might be alone in my thoughts here, but for as iconic as the flex picture was, my favorite part of all of that was when he picked up the ball and offered it back to him. Like that. Yeah. That to me was just frozen in my mind. He was like, "Yeah, you hit me with this. You want it back? Here you go." Like I, just, <laughs> I, I, I think I used that picture on our front page probably seven or eight times as often as I could make it relevant uh, for the next month after that. But the flex, obviously, I mean, for one, it was a tremendous play. I mean, he, he busted his butt around third base, scored a big run, got tackled in the process. I mean, there was a collision there before he stood up and flex. It wasn't like he was just seeking out this pitcher to do it on him. Um, it was it was the entirety of that play. We've also got to think back about the context of this as well. After a 2020 season where – Nick Castellanos was the big signing for a Reds club that was trying to improve and get itself better and regenerize, regenerize, 
re-energize. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. A fan base that had obviously been down in the dumps for five years. Pandemic hits, season shortened, fewer home games, fewer fans, no fans for so much of it. And then the Cardinals come to town on opening day weekend, and he just crushes them. Like, it was a coming out moment for him as a big part of the team. Um, I loved it, frankly. I thought it was tremendous. I think it's the kind of thing that you've got to have that kind of emotion in baseball because it's a sport, and sports have emotion. And so um, it was it was a tremendous moment to watch. It was hilarious to watch uh, him get suspended for it and other players not get suspended for it because it's the Reds, and that's just how it works. But uh, a seminal moment for the early portion of the season, and it really set the tone for how this club was going to be good, you know? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the thing about the baseball, I, I God, I couldn't handle that. It was like, um, you obviously don't know how to use this thing. <laughs> I can't. If you want to try better, can, can I show um, you? <laughs> it, it sets such a great tone for what became a recurring theme for me throughout the season. It was how much this team got along and had each other's back. I mean, you saw Jesse Winker was out there just picking off everybody on the perimeter. He's like, you're not going to get anywhere close to this scuffle. I'm going to keep you out of here. Once it looked like it had died down, the bullpen started getting into it in the outfield. Eugenio Suarez is out there making his presence known. And it's like from that moment on, like we didn't know if the Reds were going to be good or not. We never know if the Reds were going to be good. <laughs> but I think that as a as a collective fan base, we really started caring about this team in that moment because there's literally no better way to rally the Reds fan base than to flex on the Cardinals. Yeah, both of you kind of said it set the tone, and it absolutely 100% did. To me, it was a moment where I know Cassianos is not coming back to Cincinnati in all likelihood. But if he were to come back to Cincinnati, Cassianos is becomes an inner circle like fan favorite of all time, uh, and, and that moment is is when it started. And he's still going to end up being, uh, you know, well thought of by Reds fans forever. I mean, he's he's always going to be a favorite because because what happened right after he flexes and he walks off the field, and who is the catcher that like kind of grabs him and draws him back into it? It's the most unlikable player in the history of baseball, Yadier Molina, the neck tat himself. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it's like everything that as Reds fans is meaningful to us, the Cardinals and Yadier Molina. And, you know, I don't know. It just, it was, a, it was a moment that in any other year probably would have been the, the number one um, moment. I'm just, uh, I will never forget it, certainly, and I, I'm glad the Reds commemorated it with a big, you know, uh, whatever, banner at the, at the stadium. But, uh, man, that was a lot of fun. So, the uh, number two on the list this year of top Reds moments, the flex. Hard to believe that was game two. And, you know, this game, uh, the third game this season, Cassiano's tripled in the fourth inning, hit a home run in the fifth. Uh, you know, and the Reds routed the Cardinals 12 to one. And man, I was fired up. I was all in on the Reds at that point. And then they, you know, again, Cincinnati sports. So I'm going to go ahead and say number one on our list. And I'll let each of you all uh, kind of analyze a little bit. Number one on the list was Joey Votto's streak of seven consecutive games with a home run. That's the number one Reds moment of the list. Um, Nate, I'll let you start and then uh, we'll bring in Wick. Man, I talked about it earlier, um, looking back at when you were most excited about this Reds team. And I think that has to be it for me. Like That was must-see TV. And fun fact, Joey Votto became the only player in MLB history 
to home run, to hit a home run in four consecutive games at Wrigley Field. Don't fact check me on that. I did not do extensive research, but I saw it somewhere <laughs> once. Now I'm quoting it to all you all as fact. Stupid um, Cubs. Joey Bada, we go on and on and on, and we will, I think now I've kind of decided we will do a podcast this offseason, just a Joey Bada podcast. But while we're here, that was one of the coolest things in my baseball fandom. You know, he was on the verge of an MLB record. Everybody nationwide was talking about it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't miss a game. Every bat I had it set up for all the notifications to like make sure if I was busy somewhere, I was getting notified that Joe Votto was up to bat and he had a chance. ESPN was picking it up. I can't go on enough. Um, we said it a million times, but gosh, that was so special. And just like the uh, the flex, I will never forget it. Joey. If I'm remembering correctly, he had eight home runs in those seven games. Also, right? There was a two. He did not. He had nine. He had nine. There we go. He had two, 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 two multi homer games. And missed game number eight by five inches, four inches, two inches, something like that, in City Field in New York. Um, like the record itself is tremendous. That it came in Chicago against the Cubs was even more tremendous. Um, but more than anything, it was like it was. Uh, you know, we'd seen enough from him before that to say, oh, this is a new Joey Votto, like dating back to August 26th or whatever it was, 2020, when he changed his swing after being benched. Like he's got, he's onto something here. But it is at that point where we're like, is he the best player on the Reds again? Like it wasn't just good again. It was like, he's the best player on the Reds again. Um, or at least the best offensive player on the Reds again. And, and it was kind of one of those indications where it was like, um, they weren't first row home runs. You know, they were crushed. You start looking at a stat cast page again, which is something I kind of stopped doing for a year or two because I didn't want to look at how good it used to be. But all of a sudden I was back on there every single day and be like, what was the exit velocity on that one? Like, where, where are his ranks? Or is, is he in the 93rd percentile on exit velocity now? And what's his barrel rate again? Because he was atop the leaderboard again. And, like, that's what I always used to go for Joey Votto was how many, you know, iterations better is he than everybody else at what he's doing? And he was doing all of that again. And so the home runs were were exciting to me, and the streak was exciting to me. But it was more that uh, he wasn't getting cheated by being there, and it wasn't something fluky. It was he figured it out again. And for a 38-year-old Joey Votto, it's like, all right, well, um, thankfully we've got him for at least two more seasons because nothing about that looked like it wasn't something that he couldn't find a way to sustain, at least in some form or fashion going forward. Uh, whether or not it's ever as good again as it was for that – that glorious week, I don't know. But he showed enough there to say he figured out how to not be bad again, and he's going to be a very important part of the Reds uh, uh, for a long time again going forward. And so it was that dueling excitement for me because um, when Joey Votto's being Joey Votto, there's nothing better than that, and that was pretty pretty quintessential Joey. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, convince uh, Cincinnati Magazine to delete uh, a, a piece that I wrote one of the columns I wrote when I was kind of despairing over Joey Votto was just, it's, it's, you know, father time, right? Father time's undefeated and Joey Votto, it was looking like that. And then, and you know, he gets benched. It's such a great story. Really? He gets benched and he comes back and wait a minute. He, he's good again. What, what just happened here? And that's because he's a hall of famer. It's because he's a unique player. I've never seen anything like it in his name, Reds uniform. Um, I will never doubt him again. And I guess, uh, Wick, I'll ask you this really quickly. If you, uh, you know, 
what what can we expect from Joey Votto in 2022? Because now I just I just don't know. I mean, he he could do this again and be great, but he's 38. Uh, what do we expect? I, I mean, I think he said it himself. He's like, I Joey Votto still bangs, you know, and I think that's the important aspect of it. It's that it wasn't just that he found another way to be good. He said, as we talked about before, he always wanted to be the most on-base player in baseball. That's no longer his priority. He's still good enough to where that's a pretty solid residual byproduct where he can go out and throw up a 370 on-base percentage or 380 or whatever it ended up being. Um, but he realized, I may be old, but I can still hit it just as hard as anybody else in baseball. I'm going to do that and see what happens. And this is the result of it. So I think his premise going forward is going to be, I'm going to swing as hard as I can and try to hit it as hard as I possibly can. This is the result we saw this year. Yeah, he might hit 260 next year. But if he hits 260 next year and he stays healthy, I mean, he did all this with a month on the sideline with a busted hand and still led the Reds in home runs this year. Um, I, I expect him to hit 30, 35 home runs next year. I, I think that's where I am. And, um, no, it won't look like a, a vintage 2015 you know, 470 on base percentage Joey Votto season, but that's not what he's trying to do anymore. And what he's trying to do is be good in a different way that he knows he can be. I expect him to do it. I don't I don't see a decline from where Joey Votto was this year to somebody who's unable to hit home runs next year. Um, especially now that he's got the entire offseason to kind of roll with it, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Nate, if so go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's the most exciting part for me. It's the most Joey Votto thing I can imagine. He decided to be to completely change his game and within a calendar year he became elite at that at that one thing. If somebody had told me that Joey Votto was going to lead the Reds in home runs this year, I would have said, oh man, this is going to be a bad year. Who no, did instead they trade, Joey, who did they trade at the deadline? <laughs> you know, right. like, there's nobody else around. <laughs> exactly. So and that's number one, I think to me a pretty clear number one in the top ten Reds moments of the year. That seven home run streak. Seven consecutive games, Joey Votto hitting home runs. So let's move now quickly to the news of the week uh, in Red's uh, world. Um, yeah, there's no news of the week. So let's move on to nothing's happening. It's you know post-Christmas, um, before New Year's, nothing's happening. And that's why. It's because Nick Crawl was just resting a little bit. How about some viewer mail? Okay, we're going to have to do some uh, – we've gone longer than I expected, so we need to do some kind of rapid-fire viewer mail. These questions come from, uh, these are actual letters from actual viewers at patreon.com slash riverfrontcincy. That's patreon.com slash riverfrontcincy. First question, I'll take this one myself and then uh, see if any of you all want to uh, want to uh, weigh in. It comes from our buddy Joe Farsing. question is this, which former Red would you want to sing a duet of Auld Lang Syne with and why is it Johnny Cueto? Well, obviously the answer is Johnny Cueto. I, you know, I mean, you answered your own question. Uh, Johnny Cueto is maybe the he's top three most likable red of my lifetime. So yeah, it's Johnny Cueto. Uh, although you know, honorable mentions got to go to a, a guy that I talked about on the on the Twitters earlier today, Dimitri Young. I like to I like to see Dimitri Young doing that. So uh, either of you have a, have a comment on uh, who you want to sing all Lang sign with here at on New Year's Eve? I do have a uh, a buddy who actually went to a bar in Cincinnati after a Reds game and had a wonderful time with Joey or uh, Johnny Cueto. Um, apparently, he was passing out shots uh, left left and right. Um, my answer goes to Adam Dunn because I feel like he's going to be a little bit toasty. 
and that rendition is going to be heartfelt and sincere. Yeah, about midnight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to go with Bronson Arroyo because I can't sing. So hopefully he'll get to sing for me. <laughs> absolutely. All right, so there we go. Uh, next question uh, comes from our buddy Joey Gaditza. Joey, the Canadian uh, from Canada, in this group. Happy New Year, guys. Have either of you at either of you? There's three of us, but have any of you at some point in your life been so intoxicated on New Year's Eve that you don't even remember bringing in the New Year? Interesting question, uh, Joey. Uh, the answer to me for me is no. I'll let you guys jump in there. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One one of my absolute best friends since I was two years old's birthday is uh, December thirty first. So um, his his twenty first birthday uh, was I was that was an, an afternoon well spent, and we woke up the next day and it was New Year's. So there you go, <laughs> Nate. That's gonna be yes, right? Even if I have, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> There we go. Who knows, right? Oh, mercy. All right, next question comes from our buddy Cal Calvin Medcalf, another international member of the family. Calvin Medcalf says, Happy New Year. I'm going to be tough and ask you to go deep into the future to this time next year. What would you predict will be Reds fans' favorite moment of next season? Prediction for what's at this time next year, what's the top in our top 10 next year's pockets? What's the favorite moment? To me, it's obviously game four of the World Series when the Reds sweep the World Series and and and, and win uh, finally another World Championship. That's what it's going to be. Uh, Wick? Looking at our list right here, I'm going to say it's when Joey Votto spends all offseason annoyed that he only hit nine home runs in seven games and hits 10 and eight, um, all of which, most of which come in Wrigley Field. How about that? There you go. Because he can. Because he can. <laughs> yes. Nate? Love it. I had uh, also Joey Votto hitting home run number 45 on the season as a walk-off on the last day of the year to clinch a wild-card berth for the Reds. You know what, what's interesting at this point is, can Votto catch uh, Johnny Bench for the most home runs ever in Reds history? He, he needs, what, another? 58? Yeah, somewhere close to 60. 58, I think that's right, so. I, you know, I think he probably will. Johnny probably Mitchell's going like June of next year. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. All right, he next question comes from. The, he probably say he probably doing the math this year. It was like I got to hit thirty-five a year ish to get there, so I'll hit thirty-six. Let's do it. Yeah, and and would anybody, you know, uh, I wouldn't. If Joey Votto really said, eh, "I got to do this," I'm not going to doubt him. All right, next question comes from Kyle Kapler. Kyle Kapler asks, which player on the 2021 Reds had the funnest, I'm not sure it's a word, but the funnest name to say? Kyle is going with Ashton Goudeau. What's the, which name is the most fun to say? Ashton Goudeau. We have no Lisa Alvertos on this year's team. but um, <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately. I mean, there's some, there's some good names. I, I'm, I thought about Mike Moustakas. But you know who I'm going to go for here? Max Schrock. It's Max Schrock for me. What do you think, Nate? What's your what's the what's the most fun? What's your name is the most fun to say? Goudeau's a good one. I'll never stop enjoying saying Jesse Winker. Okay, there you go. Winker. 
Wick? I, I believe I believe uh, Bowman number ten started with Reaver San Martin. Um, oh. So Reaver's Reaver San Martin is a good one I'm, for a number of reasons, but also because it makes the Sunny Gray trade look a little bit better each time he goes out there and puts up some zeros. So yeah, Reaver. Absolutely. I, I will have to say for uh, Ashton Godot, uh, I like the fact that he was a red because I kept making the dumb joke about he sounds like a uh, a director of the French New Wave, which like four listeners that are that, that care about movies will understand. But um, that's me, and yeah, you know, we're four hundred four episodes in. You're gonna have to deal with it. Um, next question comes from James Urban. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss this one to you, Wick. Curious where you guys stand, asks Jason James Urban. Do you think the lockout is fixed? It's over, I guess, before he's before the season starts. I'm worried it may bleed over into spring training and put the full season in jeopardy. So this is actually a legitimate question. Um, where are we with the lockout by the time spring training starts? Wick, what are your thoughts? I think they play 162 games in 2022. I wonder whether or not it's going to be on the schedule that we were used to for 162 games. I think I think spring training gets gets muddied a bit. Uh, and they find a way to get things ramped up and going. Um, I almost wonder if it becomes a precursor that spring training ends up not being as long and as formal as it always has been um, because they realize they can pull off a season without having to do that. So that's my best way of saying no, I think. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Nate? Uh, I tend to agree. I think that uh, spring training is in some sort of jeopardy if, you know, I'm not too worried necessarily about it being non-existent. I think we'll get 162. I don't know if we'll have opening day as regularly scheduled, but yeah. it's going to be impacted a little bit. It has to before real changes are going to be made, I'm afraid. I think there are real things that they're they're fighting over uh, this time around, and uh, it's going to take some real negotiation. But the fact of the matter is, we've talked about here a, a couple times, Spring training is a pretty big moneymaker for most teams, and, um, and and it may be diminished somewhat, but I think there's enough uh, incentive to get the season going. I, I don't see the season being impacted in terms of 162 games. I mean, you know, it, spring training may be impacted, but uh, again, and this, maybe this is just me being optimistic, but I, that, that's, that's my opinion on it. I think we all agree on that. Rex Scott, a couple more questions here, then we'll get out. Uh, Rex Scott asks this. Happy New Year to everyone in the family. Am I wrong to be feeling optimistic about the prospects for the Reds next season? The potential starters look solid, the bullpen at least serviceable, and the lineup remains a potent force offensively. Our divisional foes don't seem overly daunting. I know our front office and ownership constantly degrade and embarrass us, but I think we can be competitive next season, even given their ineptitude. Am I right or seriously deluded? Well, yeah, both of those, uh, Rex. But uh, Nate, what do you think? Is he uh, is he right, or is he is he just deluding himself? No, he's not wrong for being optimistic. This is what the off season is for. It's baseball. We talked about it earlier. We didn't expect a couple of these young guys to contribute the way they did. It's not crazy that if a couple new young guys come up and play a little better than expected, that boom, this team's right back where it was last year. Hopefully, better. Um, Lose the Castellano stinks, but man, like. What is the point of being a baseball fan, or specifically a Reds fan, if you can't get optimistic about unrealistic scenarios? Yeah, we've kind of touched on this uh, the whole show, which is that this team's got a pretty good core. You know, they're they're going to be fun next year. They're going to have a shot of being competitive next year, despite ownership. 
So I, I don't. I think you're. I think you're not wrong, uh, Rex Wick. Uh, yeah, you look up where this team is. It's got a lot of good pieces. It's got two incredibly promising arms at AAA waiting to contribute this year, and it's got a payroll that's been trimmed down to about a hundred million bucks. Like you give that blueprint to fifteen GMs across baseball, and they would jump at it. They'd go spend thirty-five, forty million dollars and turn it into a great team. You know, so yeah, like that's that's there's optimism there. There sure as heck is. The question is, is this? Are they going to do it? Or are they just going to look up and be like, oh, we got close. You know, we'll see if we win 83 games with what we got. You know, because that's that was the bummer of last year. They didn't they didn't fix the bullpen. They didn't – they gave away Russell Iglesias. Like, they gave away Wade Miley and Tucker Barnhart. Now, like, you got a lot of really good pieces. A lot of GMs you – know, Jerry Depoto would take this roster right now and make seven deals and sign somebody to a big contract and be like, we're as optimistic about this year as we've ever been. I just don't know if that's what – they're going to give us the opportunity to find out. It, it could literally be a World Series team. And right here, I don't know if you can see it on the video, but that's a single tear. <laughs> Falling down my cheek. <sighs> no, there are reasons for optimism. We're going to con- continue to talk about those reasons for optimism because this team is not bad. They're not. You know, we, we had those 90-plus loss seasons. This is not that team, even oh. though we're not optimistic necessarily. But this is not that team. They're a lot of fun guys. I don't know. I think there's a reason for us to stay interested. I just wish that ownership were as interested as we were. But again, that's a different story. <laughs> One last question. This comes from our buddy Hooper Powell. Hooper asks this. What do you think we'll see first? A salary floor or a salary cap? So some people talking this week about let's have them both. Um, a salary floor or a salary cap. Now, I don't think the players will ever agree to a, a, a salary cap. I just don't. But can a salary floor plus a salary cap work? I don't know. Um, Wick, I'll ask you to go ahead and weigh in on this one. Yeah, it's 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 a delicate way of kind of framing it, for one. I, I think a floor is one that we would see before a salary cap, um, obviously because the Players Association doesn't want to put any sort of cap on what it is they can make. Um, this is also the, the very uniqueness of baseball, which is that uh, you can spend $70 million and go to the World Series. You can spend $270 million and not go to the World Series. You can't you can't do that in other sports. And so that's been the weird, intricate aspect about how baseball is, in part because also unique to baseball, your future is already part of the franchise. You've got dedicated farm systems. You've got next year, two years, two years, four years, already, for the most part, drafted and in your system. So when you're not paying it to the big league level, you're still spending money on other parts of it that doesn't necessarily get counted as payroll. Um, I think a floor is something that could work and probably should work. Um, How they impact revenue sharing in that is the the big nebulous topic uh, because currently you've got the big spending teams kind of subsidizing the smaller spending teams. Um, The fact of the matter is, is that there are, a good number of franchises out there that don't do what they need to do to be competitive every single season. And that's got to get fixed. And I think if, if it doesn't get fixed, there's got to at least be a financial penalty, so to speak, uh, of them spending more money so that the players don't get left out in the cold. Uh, even if the team isn't intending to compete that year, the players deserve the opportunity to still get those good jobs. And so I think a floor is one that certainly makes much more sense. It probably is what, is going to end up happening in some regard uh, when these talks finish uh, at some point this winter before we start the 2022 season. Nate? 
Yeah, I agree totally. The floor is the answer here. Um, there's already a de facto salary cap. The competitive balance tax, you get punished for luxury tax, you get punished draft picks, you get penalized. Um, what's that, in revenue sharing? I think there's only one team this year that was above the luxury tax threshold. I think when they collectively bargained in 2016, every single team, there were six that were above it then, is below it now. So spending too much money isn't the problem here. I think another reason that the floor is the answer is because a lot of these bigger market teams that are spending more money, when it was negotiated last time, they didn't dictate where the revenue sharing needed to go. I think you're going to see a lot of these big market teams that are saying, hey, if we're giving money to these lower tier teams and they're putting it in their pockets instead of using their roster, that's a big problem. Good point. Most noise are going to have something to say about that. So I think a floor is much more realistic and a floor that directly applies to the major league ball club. You can't just say, hey, I'm using this money on player development. It's going to need to be the active roster. And that's awesome because you want to see more of these like mid-30s relievers, people that get cast aside for younger, cheaper, controllable guys getting a chance. Yeah. Yep. Here's what I say. My opinion is this. We need to have a uh, a salary cap because I want Bob Castellini to make more money. So we need to have a really low salary cap because Castellini is losing money, man. I mean, I feel for that guy. I wanted to bring this up. I know some of the, uh, the, the Slack family wanted to also, especially with Wick here. Was, what do you think about that MLB trade rumors report that Castellini is the uh, the lowest net worth of all owners? To be the primary owner of a billion-dollar franchise and have a $400 million net worth, just the math of it, it's like, okay, well, do you own 17%? And if you do, and you're the richest of the people that own the other 83% combined, suddenly you understand why the Reds have so many complicating factors when it comes to spending money because you got to get it approved by 19 different people most of whom are valuing every single million dollars that's out there much more so than Steve Cohen is. And so with two people throw up their hands, you're kind of beholden to them because you don't know enough of the team. So yeah, that was um, not surprising, but certainly eye opening in its relevance. Um, and it's why the Reds are where they are right now. Obviously, if you don't know sarcasm, you know, you, don't understand this show because I was not being serious, obviously about uh, worrying about Kesselin's pocket, but okay. If you're, if you're too poor to own a team, this is my response. Sell the team, sell the team that someone to someone that wants to, that has money and wants to spend it on the team. Sell the team, Bob hash Brown, sell the team, Bob. All right. That was, that was the last question. Wasn't it? That was it. Wow. Yeah, we're done. Um, Nate, any final thoughts for us here? Uh, no, that's it, man. Wick, really, really enjoyed having you on. So much fun. Please come back anytime. Um, for everybody out there listening or watching, please go and click all the buttons that let the uh, interwebs know that you like us. And comment if you want to. You can be like that one guy who uh, said he was grateful for the video because he could see how uh, pointy I was. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pointy your head was. That wasn't nice, was it? Yeah, adding video to podcasts is a whole whole other arena out there. So, uh, you know, <laughs> thank you all both for having me on. It's it's been it's been a blast, and um, and I I think I kind of like my 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 Reds heart needed this to finish 
the calendar year 2021 to uh, to get rid of at least a little bit of the uh, the bitter aftertaste that the offseason has is, is, is put out there. And recall that the season itself, despite the fact that they didn't end up going anywhere, um, there was a lot of fun to be had. And a lot of that is still there and still coming back. Um, and maybe, just maybe, my, my little, my as we tie the holidays together, the little wrench in my heart, uh, we'll, we'll start being a little bit more optimistic about things uh, as we start this upcoming season because um, there were some fun moments that that, that hopefully will will replicate themselves next year. So thank you guys very much for having me on to, to talk about that. I think I needed that. I did. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's exactly what we're hoping to accomplish here was this was a fun team. They were they were a fun team, and we don't need to forget that. Uh, Wick, do you have any final thoughts about uh, Arsenal uh, Football Club uh, in particular? Uh, I believe they are currently in fourth, which is the Champions League spot, which is above where Tottenham is in the standings. So yeah. um, talk talk about uh, talking things into existence. I think I just shot them in the foot for the rest of the year. Um, but it's been fun so far. How about that? All right. Well, Tottenham has uh, Antonio Conte now, and they're coming for you, baby. Yeah. Spurs are coming. All right. So this was episode number 404 of the Riverfront show um thanks to wick terrell obviously from red reporter go to redreporter.com and um follow everything he's writing and doing over there the fantastic site and has been for a long long time even uh certainly longer than uh than Redleg nation um uh thanks to nate for uh for joining us today you can follow the riverfront we're at riverfront since on twitter on instagram on facebook on youtube go to the youtubes there give us a thumbs up and and smash that uh subscribe button just smash it okay um, we're not talking about fisting anymore, but you can smash the subscribe button. Uh, and audio- <laughs> nobody's listening this far into the podcast. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. nobody's, li- nobody's listening this far. Um, audio, you know, if you can listen to the Riverfront, the same place you've always listened to Red Leg Nation radio podcast, wherever you find podcasts, we're there. We're at patreon.com slash Riverfront Sensi. This is our last podcast, our last show of 2021 which has been a rough year for a lot of people we recognize that i want to say thank you and and just i want to express how grateful i am for everybody that that listens and now watches this show every single week i don't know why you do it you probably shouldn't i'm encouraging you to find better hobbies but i i really am grateful for the fact that you're here you're with us and um and we'll never forget uh, how much we enjoy that so for for nate dawson for wick terrell and for the legend, Joey Votto. This is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone.